Silks. This is the expecting aerialist. So I am prepping this podcast to drop on Monday morning, and you guys will be listening to me on Monday. And today is Friday, and I woke up to the news that Roe v. Wade has been overturned. And uh, I, along with many of you, have a host of emotions. Uh, I don't need to explain all the emotions. I think that we are all feeling it. And um, we actually do talk about Roe v. Wade in this conversation. This conversation is with Rebecca Ann Rungi. She is a doctor. She is from the Michigan area. And she was actually on the podcast last year to talk about her two losses uh, with and also complications with CDLS. So... She is back to give us an update. She has gone through an incredible IVF journey plus genetic testing. She is currently uh, just just probably now in her second trimester. And uh, we talk about Roe v. Wade because for her and I, it it's obviously a very relevant topic, but... You know, she she had to make some really hard decisions with the losses of her two her two pregnancies, and uh, very much so the nuances of reproductive rights are. There's a lot of nuance. There's a lot of nuance, and um, you know, the country just took uh, specifically a 50 year step back legislatively, but you know. I keep on seeing memes about the handmaid's tale <laughs> that our country is turning into. And it definitely feels like that's on point. So this is an incredibly All right, little bean. Oh, this bean is not happy with this recording. All right, guys, let's get started. Okay, podcast listeners, this is actually an update podcast because Rebecca came on last year, mid-year maybe, to talk about her story and and I'm gonna um, link that in the show notes so people can go back and and listen to everything but if you'll get just give us a little like the the littlest bit of a summary and then kind sure. of like right after that what happened sure. yeah yeah so um I had background of two pregnancies uh, that didn't end very well. So one, um, at 20 weeks, we found out at the anatomy scan that um, baby Ethan hadn't formed any kidneys. So I had to have a, a D&E procedure. Um, and then the second pregnancy with Adrian uh, was kind of up and down, but by third trimester, she was also having problems on ultrasounds that looked like there was something going on with the kidneys or some sort of genetic abnormalities. Um, so when she was born, she was on hospice for nine weeks she lived. And she was diagnosed with um, a, a genetic syndrome called CDLS. And then she also had uh, what we found out later were genes um, that were inherited from my husband and I that uh, we think contributed to her kidney failure. So um, after that, we 
you know, looking forward to future fertility options, um, we decided that we were going to look into IVF with pre-implantation genetic testing. And they were able to reassure us that they could test for these genes of variant, right, variants of unknown significance that we think um, were causative for both of our pregnancies. And uh, then we started the IVF process. All right. So it's been it's been quite a journey. Yeah. Um, so the last time I spoke to you, you were starting that IVF process. Can you, can you start there? Yeah, sure. Um, so actually that was probably when we first did our consult was about a year ago. So it's taken about a year. Um, they, you know, are always scheduled out for when you actually do your like start date for your, uh, procedures and all of that. But, um, we did three rounds of egg retrievals, all in all, uh, because we, because of the genetic issue, they recommended having um, more number of embryos before we got to the genetic testing phase. Uh, okay. Just because the odds are so. Right. Okay. So I got my eggs retrieved and frozen um, when I was thirty-seven, and did not have a great retrieval at like four. I'd like four, right? Um, four, four eggs retrieved. Um, so the first one, how many eggs were you guys able to retrieve? Yeah, so that first round in November, we actually had 16 eggs. Oh, amazing. Eggs. Yeah. And, um, and, and it's crazy, like the IVF attrition rates, basically at each step. I don't know if you recall, but they, you know, they're calling you every other day for updates on what's going on with the embryo and whether it's kind of made it to the next phase or that kind of thing. But, um, well, I don't know that part because, Oh, that's right. Cause they were right. just frozen. They just, yeah. I didn't go to that second step. So basically you would do the retrieval right. and then they would do the second step before you started the next cycle. Yeah. 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 Okay. Um, so, yeah, it, they immediately fertilize the eggs once they come out. So they're like freshly fertilized with my husband's sperm. So we started with 16 eggs and then 12 of those eggs were actually like mature enough to fertilize. And then 11 of them successfully fertilized. And then six of them made it to the blast stage, which is like four or five days in, in this case, five days, um, when they're at a good stage to biopsy them. Okay. Yeah. So then they biopsy them and then they send out the DNA sample to the lab and then they freeze the embryo so that it's ready for implantation if it's determined to be a good embryo. Okay. So they do that genetic testing right then. Well, no. So what they... It's so complicated because, Oh, my know, God, yeah. It's complicated. <laughs> on, yeah, I feel like I learned something at each stage in the process, you know, things you expected and then, you know, were not true. And um, so basically we signed up for a multi-cycle because they, they thought, okay, it's going to take you at least two cycles and multi-cycle you pay for three cycles up front. Um, so they're, they're like, okay, then you're covered at least. So that's three cycles. Uh, Rebecca, we can totally take this out if you don't want to answer it. But yeah. do, you, do you mind telling me how much that costs? 
Um, yeah, it's like an ongoing growing budget. Like I, I try, try to keep a spreadsheet. Um, like ballpark? initial like ballpark, I thought was going to be like 30,000. Okay. Um, it's probably closer to 50. <laughs> well, just for my four yeah. measly eggs that probably, you know, we know the numbers of like what four frozen eggs might turn into. Yeah. My body wasn't responding to the hormones, so they had to up Mads. my hormones in the middle of the, of the cycle, or else yeah. we just pitched the whole thing. Right. For that one cycle, I did 17,000. Wow. Yeah, and I think yeah. it really depends state by state and, like, right. you know, year that you go through the process, whether you have any insurance truck coverage because it's very rare to have an insurance plan that covers any very much so yes and I didn't have that yeah yeah I didn't have any coverage either I was lucky enough to have like some of my blood work or like you know the consult appointments or the ultrasounds covered not all of it but but some of it you know and that helps because that's a lot um but no the actual like IVF you know the multi-cycle I think we had to put down like $22,000 $22,000 up front <laughs> to like start the process. Yeah, I definitely, crazy. I expected you to say more, more like a hundred thousand, honestly. I think, yeah. I think that, uh, like my friend who successfully now has a child, but did four cycles and she just was having trouble getting pregnant. She didn't have any of this genetic yeah. stuff going on. Right. Definitely like $100,000 for four cycles for her. Wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And yeah. I think the genetics piece adds a whole nother layer for me. So like that's that's part of why my cost like kept going up because I'd say it's almost even for like the IVF part, all like the hormones and the procedures and then the genetic testing, which which I was getting to, we batched basically to try to reduce the cost so we like sat on these DNA samples that were frozen um, to try to get them all. Oh, I see. At once. Yeah, so it was hard, you know, because you go through the first part and you you really have no idea how successful it was. You're like, okay, what are the odds? You know, I've got six six of these samples here, like, but on average, you know, I was expecting somewhere between twenty to thirty percent of those to actually be okay. Right. Okay. So, okay. So they're now frozen. So second round. Yeah. Second round (laughs) was a disaster. Oh (laughs) no. It's it's funny because you, you know, you'd expect, all right, this happened the first time. I feel like I got my feet under me. I know what to expect with all the meds and you know how it went and that kind of thing. And it was totally different the second time. So they kept having to, like you said, up, up my meds. Like they weren't, I wasn't responding. Um, so they kept upping it and upping it. Um, and then when we had the retrieval, I was kind of surprised that they got 13 eggs. Um, but only six of those were actually mature. Three got fertilized and we ended up with one blastocyst. Wow. Yeah, so it was felt really frustrating, you know, to come out of a whole nother cycle with just one to show for it, you know. And each of these actual cycles, it's like a month time time frame. Yeah, so um, it's about let's see, ten days of, of meds of or so yourself. to like stimulate. Yep the the ovaries to overproduce. 
eggs that will be mature because typically you know for an ovulation cycle you get one egg right they want me to make you know dozens of eggs (laughs) um and so for that part like during that stimulation phase and after like two basically two weeks before the retrieval and two weeks after you're on like exercise restrictions because your ovaries are growing larger than normal and you can kind of feel it like I felt oh yeah yeah it, it's kind of like and, like period yeah like, yeah yeah I felt definitely bloated I kind of felt like first trimester pregnant a little bit mm, okay. um, which was weird um but yeah depending on what meds they put you on you might be on like uh like three different meds at a time like two were to stimulate my ovaries and then one was added to like keep me from ovulating too early and then there's like trigger shots when they are ready for you to ovulate and then you stop and do the retrieval yeah so it depended like day to day sometimes I was giving myself two shots in the belly sometimes it was like six shots you're like (laughs) Depending on, yeah. Okay, so my my experience, and I already have anxiety issues. This whole process was so, like, I was so anxious because, number one, when you, at least my experience, I go to the pharmacy, and I literally, like, drop $10,000 Yeah, pharmacy, and then you're just holding (laughs) your $10,000 as you walk to your car. You know? know? Like, there's no... Mm-hmm. Like literally, if I got in a car accident and something happened in the car, it would all okay. be gone, right? It's like <laughs> I was actually holding cash. That's how it felt. Yeah. And then, and then they kind of give you a tutorial on how to stick yourself and like do the all yeah. the um, things. Uh huh. I I was so stressed out because I was like, what if I do this wrong? What if I give myself the wrong right. dose? Like all my money, like it, it's yeah. the stakes are so high. I know all the like small things, the logistics about IVF, I feel like are the hardest part. You oh know? my God, it's you so just, hard. There's, there's so many balls in the air that you're trying to juggling at, at one time, you know, plus going to work and you're getting phone calls during the day and they don't give you any information like mapped out ahead of time because it all depends on that result uh, from yeah, that day. Yeah. And so like it's constantly changing and there's no way to set any sort of schedule or expectations, which was the hardest part for me. Um, Like, for instance, like during the meds phase and like before the egg retrieval, you're getting blood work and ultrasound like every other day. So, (laughs) and you have to go early in the morning and get, you know, sit at the lab, get your blood drawn, go get, you know, a pelvic ultrasound, um, then go to work and then try to wait for a phone call to tell you what you're doing, like, you know, what dose you're doing, what day. And then you can't even like schedule all your ultrasound appointments because they don't know <laughs> like how many days it's going to be till your retrieval, you know, um, de- just depending on how your eggs are growing, if they're the right size or that kind of thing. So you can't like I couldn't block work schedule. It was yeah awful. Yeah, and, <laughs> you know, and, so and you're then doing last minute canceling a whole day of my patients, which is not good. <laughs> so that was tough. I remember because I only did this once, right? I remember when I was supposed to take my trigger shot. That was the mm-hmm. most stressful because I was like, "What if I?" Because it's like a powder and a solution, right? Right. And you have, you have to, to mix, mix it. it. Yeah. 
And it's like the timing of it's really important. And then I remember, and, and again, like, I don't think other people would stress out maybe in the same way as I did, but like, mm-hmm. I'm like, what if I don't get every drop of this thing in the actual syringe? Right. Mm-hmm. Like everything. Yeah. And it was, it was, yeah, I, I feel like it actually negatively affected. I'm not, I'm not saying that there's any studies about stress level during this because isn't it stressful for everyone? Yeah, it is. And I honestly, that's how, I felt the second cycle kind of, I kind of bombed it because I felt like I was so stressed out. It was hard not to blame myself for that, you know? Um, Yeah, I, I definitely did a little, and and my mom in her very Chinese way, she's very wise when she drops these, these small things. She goes, Carrie, your eggs aren't happy right now. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, Actually, you're probably right. Oh my god! <laughs> Rebecca, remind yeah. me how old you are during this year. Um, I actually, my birthday was yesterday, so oh, I just turned thirty-seven. Thanks. You just turned thirty-seven. Okay, cool. Yeah, so I was thirty-six during this part of the IVF. Um, okay, but yeah, I agree. Like all the timing and getting home to do your shots, and you have to do your trigger shot like right at a certain time like one hour before this and that. And yeah, it was nutty. And then I don't know how your egg retrieval experience was, but super weird during COVID because they... Oh, you didn't have a support person. Yeah. Well, like the, the first one I did, Okay. Uh, they let him wait in like the post-op room, you know, the little curtained room or whatever while I was doing my procedure. So then I was expecting that the second round... And they were like, nope, just kidding. There's, you know, a spike in the cases. But they didn't tell me that ahead of time until I showed up oh, the day no. of at the, at the surgery center. And I was like, are you kidding me right now? So I had to go in there all by myself, knowing I was going to be, like, completely under anesthesia and, like, come out confused, you know, and wake up by myself. Right. Just rough. Um, right. So the second round, you... Not not a fan. It was just a disaster at every step, yeah. <laughs> yeah, like I ran out of meds or I was like running out of meds and trying to call, because my meds came from a specialty pharmacy, not a uh, local pharmacy. They try to do that to like reduce costs, um, uh-huh. which is great, but they have to ship from Chicago um, to where I live in Michigan. And so they were closed and it was like a holiday weekend and the pharmacist wasn't there or something like that. I don't know, but like I couldn't get certain meds I needed on time and and I like didn't have the right one for the trigger shot Um, oh that is stressful yeah so like everything went wrong (laughs) we didn't Um, I mean I live in LA so like we have access to a lot like I think the pharmacy that like it probably was a specialized pharmacy just happened to be local for me Mm -hmm. and I do remember like my my doctor and like the nurses like collecting a bunch of like coupons for me Right. So that I could get some of it for lower. Had it mm-hmm. not, it would probably have been 20000 which is yeah. bananas. I mean, also, so at bananas. the time, I mean, not to say that my business is booming and that I'm a CEO of a huge company now, but, like, <laughs> I was a dancer. Right. So, like, $17,000 of my own money was, like, blood, sweat, and tears, scrapping oh, yeah. for dimes, you know? I honestly, I have no idea how people afford this process um you know because I'm very 
I'm very lucky. We have, you know, I have a good income. I have money set aside that is more expendable. But yeah, I just, I mean, we have a long way to go in this country in terms of like coverage because it's, I looked it up and it's about like 15% of couples have trouble with infertility. Mm-hmm. That's a lot. That of is a people. lot. And they don't, I mean, they don't all necessarily get to the IVF stage. That's kind of like the last hurrah. And I basically jumped straight to that because we needed the genetic testing. Um, but, you know, there's a lot of steps in between and still like a bunch of expensive meds that aren't covered. And yeah. Yeah. So. I, I feel like as stressful as it is, it is a, a- a place of privilege to be able to do this because if, if Mm -hmm. I didn't have the savings, like basically what I do to have savings is that if I book a commercial, I don't treat it as my regular income. I just put it all away, which is, you know, so those few times that I ended up booking a big commercial and you have a, you have um, a great, a great career as well. But then for the families that or even families that are kind of were in the middle. Like I have a mm-hmm. friend who just invested in like a lot of prep, like, m- like the doctor, what's it called? Like guided her through the prep and getting her body ready for the IVF. Right. And they just could afford one round. And yeah. I haven't heard from her, but I don't think she's pregnant. Yeah. So yeah, I don't I know how many thousands that is, and there's nothing to show for it. It's it's really frustrating. I know. And I think that's typically how a lot of people do it is like one round at a time, like where you go straight into a transfer right afterwards. And, and then, you know, just depending on whether it's successful or not, you're signing up for another round if you can afford it. But yeah. Yeah. yeah it's It's crazy. So... Third round. Tell us third about your third round. round. So third round, I was like, okay, I need to not be so stressed out about my schedule. Um, so I tried to guess based on my cycles, because everything's also like based on your period, right? And you never know exactly when you're going to get your period, because um, that's when you go in for those first ultrasounds and then start meds. Um, so I guessed when I thought I was going to be off and like blocked my schedule, like I took like a whole week of I start at 10 a.m. so that I could do my you know blood work and ultrasounds and not worry about getting to work and then I took the following week when I thought my transfer was going to be off well now my period decided to come the day before I went back to work after the week off (laughs) oh no so you're just waiting for your period the whole week (laughs) yeah it was I mean it's funny (laughs) in respect I was like that's what I get for you know, somebody's laughing at me somewhere, but <laughs> I don't know. Maybe it was also good though. Cause I was like resting and recovering that, that week before I went into the cycle. So who knows? Maybe that helped. Right. Plus, plus I, um, I looked into acupuncture actually, which has, um, pretty good studies in terms of helping with egg retrieval and transfer success. Oh, um, Okay. Yeah. I mean, they put you on a vitamin regimen too. So there are some like alternative things that there are research into that seem to be helpful um, at success rates. And, you know, acupuncture is targeted at the nervous system 
and helps with blood flow, like vascular stuff. So it makes sense that it would help. Um, but I was doing acupuncture. I think I signed up for the acupuncture like right after my second cycle. So that I was doing it in prep before my third retrieval and then right before my transfer too. Okay. What was the, what was the time lapse between first and second and second and third? Oh yeah. Um, there was pretty much a rest month between each one. So like November was my first cycle. December was off and they put me on a birth control pill, which I told them not to do the next time because I'm pretty convinced that really threw off my body for the second cycle. Why were you, did you get cysts? Is that why? I do. um, I have like mild polycystic ovarian syndrome and so I can grow cysts, but they weren't really that much of a trouble a problem during my retrievals but yeah that was kind of the the, the reason okay was the right. reason yeah um but my body was kind of confused hormonally when they like stopped the birth control and then I started the stimulation meds and it was just like really slow to catch up you know like you were saying like not responding oh my god maybe Nothing. that's because they did the same thing to me but they do this all the time and that's not they do it always all the time. Yeah, I just think it doesn't always work for everybody, you know, like how it's supposed to. Because they made it sound like, yeah, this is totally normal. We just do it to control the timing. They literally probably do it to, they probably do that to, I don't know, a solid percentage of the population that does this. And then what, one or 2% have what happened? Yeah, it's, you know, it seems real counterintuitive, like you're (laughs) going on birth control to try to get to a point where you're pregnant but anywho <laughs> yeah because um, those cysts don't allow the the over mm-hmm. the the eggs to grow right is that right. what it is yeah yeah they're not like functioning you know follicles they're just cysts that are in the way usually so and it is a physical space so it takes mm-hmm. takes physical space for ladies yeah, out yeah. there who are just like why would you what is that about? Okay, yeah. so um, okay, so third third retrieval. You've gotten the you've gotten the prep of the acupuncture, and then your schedule did not work out like you planned. But <laughs> but yeah. and then continue. So third round, we got twenty eggs. Oh, yeah, thirteen mature, eleven fertilized, and nine blasts. Oh, that's a good number. That's a good, yeah. Like, my first cycle was very good, um, and then the second was not not good at all, and then the third was, like, over expectations. Um, yeah, that's great. Yeah. So, we ended up with um, 16 total embryos that were frozen then and ready, and they biopsied that, like, second and third blasts, um, and sent everything to the genetics lab, which took probably about two weeks. And um, is there is there a risk of any of those kind of not what's the word not surviving the d right. like the yeah defrost for lack of a better word? Yeah, there's always like a small risk kind of in everything. You know, there's like a risk when they biopsy it that they might, you know, mess one up or when you um, unfreeze or thaw Thaw, and refreeze. Um, But they've really, I mean, they've really come a long way in the process, like scientifically. Yeah. um, Since they started doing IVF, which was 
I, I looked it up. The first baby born by IVF was 1978. Just wow. Not a long time. I mean, it, it would be kind of blowing the mind to think of it happening earlier than that. But then you're right. There's not a lot of years in between for the science. You know, that's pretty, it's mm-hmm. pretty exponential. Right. They've come a very long way. I mean, genetic testing wasn't available off the bat. And now, now most couples, I think that go through just IVF for infertility reasons, they, they often opt to get like the basic genetic screening, which they call PGTA now, which looks for, A stands for aneuploidy. Um, Essentially, it's looking for major chromosomal problems in the set of chromosomes. If you're like missing one or an extra chromosome or that sort of thing. Okay, so what do they find with the genetic testing? So um, there were, it's, it's kind of complicated, but <laughs> I'll, I'll break it down into like bigger sets of data, I guess. So they were looking for, um, they screened for CDLS because we were still a little paranoid because you can, you can also pass CDLS through just germ cells. So even though we were tested, um, individually, my husband and I, and we didn't CDLS, can you, for my listeners, can you just, um, what that is, not the... Cornelia DeLange syndrome. Yes. Yeah. So um, we were tested like in our body cells, kind of, but germ cells are in your testicles and your ovaries. You can actually carry CDLS there and then pass it and like not know that you were doing that. Wow. So because, because we didn't have like our testicles and our ovaries biopsied, we were still like slightly paranoid, you know, <laughs> that we would still be passing it somehow. So we asked them to screen for that as well as um, each of our variants. So they were technically in the PGTM phase, which is like looking at mono monogenomic, uh, like certain specific genes. There were three different things we were testing for, plus the basic chromosomal test. Um, so that's why, you know, our genetic testing portion was so expensive. <laughs> um, so of the 16 embryos, there was one standout that they, that they wanted to transfer first. Um, and then there, in the next tier, there were two normal um, embryos that had like similar haplotypes, which is kind of like a genetic profile, but it didn't carry any of the genes we were looking for, you know, so it didn't have the genes that we were worried about, but it had a similar genetic profile to Adrian, which was the baby we lost. Right. So okay. they just, they just tell you that just as like a warning. We don't know exactly how everything works. We're not looking at every single gene on, you know, every single chromosome. So, um, and then there were, let's see, four, yeah, four more that were my carrier gene. So my variant of unknown significance which we think is less dangerous for the kidneys um, than the one that my 
husband carries. Okay. Um, so they said those those ones would probably be okay to use the, but you know, if given a choice, we wouldn't want to pass on any abnormal genes, you know, just cause we don't know how that's going to play out in the future for that child. And right. Okay. Yeah. So basically three totally normals out of 16. Oh, the numbers on that. Wow. I know. <laughs> The statistical likelihood is just, it gets, it shrinks and shrinks and shrinks. It shrinks and shrinks, exactly. So they said seven were probably okay, which seven is a lot of chances, you know, if you yeah. had failed transfers and that kind of thing, like we would have backups. Um, but I'm kind of focusing on those three as the ones I would want to use. So Okay, so that, so that standout one is, is the one that is now mm-hmm. implanted. Yeah, which is... Um, which is kind of nice because then that took the whole factor of knowing the sex of the baby out um, and, like, you know, being able to pick. So they chose oh. for us. It was kind of nice. Oh, I I see. Because they know that, that what is know it called, the, the blast? They know, so you know that you're having a boy or a girl. Right, yeah, because it says right on the genetic report if it's XX or XY. Oh, my God. This is, like, technology is insane. I know. Okay, so, you know, as you're talking about this, it just, I always call, because I'm 45, and people ask me if mm-hmm. I'm going to have a second child, mm-hmm. and my biggest reason, besides, I don't want to be pregnant again, like, if if, mm-hmm. if Asa could have the baby, it might be a conversation, yeah. right? Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, like, I call it, like, a genetic lottery. I, You know, both mm-hmm. of us are in our mid-40s, and the yeah. fact that we have, like, a neurotypical child right it, it it is like if you don't know any better you don't think about it mm-hmm. but like the chances of that I don't know what yeah. they are statistically but it's like you're so lucky you yeah. know yeah definitely you, you played the lottery and won yeah and I'm yeah. like if we play again at our age now mm-hmm. that those numbers get way worse and I know that there's some women out there who have had like children at 50 and stuff so it is possible but um that lottery is is kind of scary so yeah did you uh, use one of your frozen eggs no I recently just I recently decided to have them um disposed of actually because I had offered them to my uh family member who's gay Mm -hmm. but he's like he's like that's too fucking weird. <laughs> He's like, yeah. that's just too fucking weird. Knowing, knowing whose genetics it, it is. Yeah. Yeah. And then also he is not in the camp of, of being at a loss for any type of money. Like he's so wealthy. Okay. He's, okay. he does very, him and his partner do very well. So like, um, they could probably sponsor me as an artist and do just, you know, like, the, so, um, <laughs> Sure. They're fine. They're fine. So I offered it to him and then waited another year and then paid for a whole another year of storage. Mm-hmm. And then I just looked at my daughter and I, I was like, the chances that putting, what, 25000 more dollars into those four eggs, we right. would just try to get pregnant again if we were going to have a baby. Yeah. Yeah. So I, 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 uh, I, I disposed of them and I just try not to think about the money <laughs> because I'm just like, I just have to just chalk it up to like, 
just thankfulness I didn't need my insurance policy. That was already very uh, small, basically. Right. Yeah, it is kind of strange. You have to decide what you're going to do with them before they even, you know, do the retrieval. Because we had to sign, you know, a whole bunch of paperwork. What would happen if we got a divorce, you know, mid-IVF? Like, who owns the embryos and... Uh, yeah, I think that that was like a celebrity couple had that whole thing like publicized. Oh, man. I don't remember which couple it was, but like one, one like didn't want to have them, you know, one was remarried and wanted to yeah. destroy them and the other wasn't. Uh-huh. And it just became this like, you can't get over me. So therefore you want my embryos. And they're no, uh-huh. they're like, no, that's my potential child. Yeah, that's sticky. Right. Yeah, super um, sticky. Super I mean, sticky. I see why why they do it? Yeah, I, did, I just told my husband. I was like, "Well, you can't get pregnant with it, so I think it should be mine." <laughs> but, <laughs> um, so you are now eight, eight weeks. Are you eight weeks? Is that it, roughly? Yeah. Yep. I just had my eight week ultrasound today. Oh, congratulations! Thanks. Yeah, the um. The transfer process went super slow, like easy. It was surprisingly, you know, compared to an egg retrieval cycle, it was nothing, you know. So they, they same thing, anesthesia. Well, no. Um, oh, for okay. The, yeah, for the egg retrievals, I went completely under because that's what they recommended. Like the mobile anesthesiologist basically came and put me under with propofol. Um, I guess that's because, I mean, you can do it under more like conscious sedation. You can. Um, but yeah, I you can, but you like, you feel stuff and the doctors don't love it cause you squirm around sometimes. Um, which does not make it easy to pull out eggs. <laughs> so I was like, you know what? My, I've been through enough trauma with my pelvic floor. I think it'd be better if it's not wise to what's going on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Um, but for the transfer, you just go in like a regular appointment and it's um, similar to a sonohistogram because they do one as kind of like a mock transfer early on in the process. So that it's like a little tiny catheter that they put up through the cervix and then they infuse a little bit of saline and basically push the, um, the embryo in with a syringe up near the top of the uterus where they want it to implant. And when it actually implants, that's not up to anybody. It just supposed to do it yeah. on its own, right? Right. Yep. So, you know, it definitely is possible to get um, failed transfers. That happens not infrequently to people. I mean, luckily I had a track record of getting pregnant on my own a couple times, so they weren't too worried about me. But, um, yeah, they, they do medicate you with, um, estrogen, I'm on estrogen pills and progesterone shots. You start those before the tra- the transfer and then continue them all the way through first trimester. So I'm still on progesterone shots, which I'm not too excited about. They don't tell you that, by the way. <laughs> mm. I love how they withhold information until that you have to do it. <laughs> um, but they're like, oh, yeah, you're going to continue this for... 11 weeks. I was like, 11 weeks (laughs) of doing gluteal, um, you know, intramuscular injections with a big needle. And And you're doing that to yourself? 
Um, I make my husband do it for me. I did all the other shots myself, um, but it's kind of hard to twist around and give yourself a shot in the butt. So uh, we we bought like an auto injector pen. Okay. That makes it a lot easier. You like put the syringe in it and then it's like spring loaded. So when he's ready to give the shot, he pushes the button so he doesn't actually actually see the needle pushing into my skin or do it himself. Oh, okay. Yeah. I know that that part can be hard for people, but at the, at the same right. time, if you're in this deep, like that's just a very small thing. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then he has to like push the plunger, which it's oil. So it's kind of hard to push through. Um, you have to like use a heating pad and massage it afterwards. Otherwise it turns into this hard lumpy marble in your butt, which that's not fun either. So lots of tricks and things that we've learned through like, you know, message boards and Facebook groups. So I'm glad I found that auto injector pen though, because I would be pretty miserable if I was giving them to myself. Oh God. The woman's body has to do freaking everything. I know. God, it's really obnoxious. I mean, I know that like me fussing about like the fact that Asa can't have our second child if we wanted one is pointless, mm-hmm. but I still mm-hmm. like thinking about it. I don't know why. Yeah. Like after I'm, I'm two and a half years postpartum and I'm still getting back my straddle the way I want it yeah. to be. Like that's a long time. Yeah. And I'm not saying every aerialist has that experience. They don't, but, um, I'm like, no, thank you. I know. It's been a lot of time off for me for during this IVF cycle, too, because, like, really, with the three egg retrievals and transfer, that took six months. Yeah. Um, and each time I'm doing an egg retrieval, that's four weeks off. And then the transfer, they're like, oh, yeah, by the way, you shouldn't do anything for six weeks. <laughs> I was like, what? <laughs> like, most people don't even know they're pregnant and they're doing whatever. <laughs> So, well, are you um, like, are, are you, do you pop into your practice or is it like, oh, it's not even, there's no point. Cause I can't build. I have in between. Oh, you have. Um, okay. Tried to. Yeah. I've been popping in and out, but it's hard to stay engaged. I'm partially because the pressure of teaching has been kind of taken off of me. Um, my studio, like I've, I've trained four instructors underneath me and they're doing awesome. They've taken over, you know, my classes and so I don't have, I don't have the pressure, I guess, or responsibility that I need to be in there teaching, but I have kind of in between, I'm about to do like a mini series for dance trapeze. Um, cause I'm trying to expand that curriculum. So yeah, that's good. I mean, I try to stay, I try to stay involved, but I've been feeling pretty absent. Oh, I can imagine. I can imagine. But I, you know, during the pandemic, there was there was long stretches of time where I didn't teach one of my classes because it wasn't in it was fully indoors. There was no way to really open the space up more. Mm-hmm. And I was just telling talking to my students and we're back in that class. I was just telling them, I was like, Do you guys remember when we like took eight months off of the space? Because I can't yeah. like I can't remember. It I feels know. like a million years ago and a different life. Mm-hmm. So maybe later on it'll feel the same way. I don't know. Um, And when, uh, so Rebecca and I have been like touching base here and there because she wanted to come back on the podcast, but she wanted to do it after a certain point in this process. And when we were talking about it via text and stuff, 
is when that leak of the Roe v. Wade stuff happened, mm-hmm. which was about a month ago. Mm-hmm. And it is something that I've wanted to talk about on this podcast a lot. Uh, it didn't always make sense. You know, if I'm talking about nutrition or something, it doesn't make any sense. But right. one of the things that some states are hinting towards is, you know, outlawing IVF as well. I know. It's... I've been reflecting upon that a lot uh, because I've had three very different experiences of pregnancy, but they all kind of tie into, you know, just my rights of how how I go through, um, you know, the process. And with my first pregnancy, that by a lot of people's definition was an abortion, um, medical, you know, I think they call them T TFMR. Um, yeah, terminate for medical reasons. Um, but that you know, a lot of people lump that in with everything else. Like, there's no you know nuances in the laws that protect women that know their baby has a fatal diagnosis. Or and then you know the second pregnancy they. They gave me more, I guess, um, power to determine how I was going to deliver Adrian because it was palliative care. You know, they they said, we can do whatever you want. You know, we can even induce you earlier than, than full term. Um, we can, you know, do this by C-section or she was breached. So that's what we ended up doing. And we ended up doing full term, but a little early, like 38 weeks, you know, they didn't Mm -hmm. make me wait until 40. Um, yeah. So I felt like I had choices, you know, whereas under a lot of legislation they've been proposing, we wouldn't feel like you had a whole lot of choices. Um, and then, you know, through IVF, I've, I have embryos. I technically have, you know, 16 babies in the bank. Yeah. Um, but you know, um, nine of those are completely chromosomal abnormal Mm. and would result in either miscarriage um, or a a medically not, not in a good situation, baby. Yeah. Um, So that's hard, you know? And the only reason Um, you know that is because you invested in finding out. Right. And in, in my mind, you know, we're doing everything we can to to create a healthy child that's not going to suffer. And in a lot of the other people's mind, that's, I don't know. <laughs> I don't totally understand um, the thought process behind that, I guess, when they decide. Yeah. Um, Rebecca, you live in a less completely blue bubble than I do I'm assuming <laughs> yeah Michigan, I live in the bluest of bluest bubbles over here so right Michigan well, tends to be kind of uh, borderline I would say like purple right are you guys purple yeah I guess we'd call yeah. it that but we have we have big spots of blue surrounded by red territory I guess is what I would say <laughs> so not that this is not that all Democrats think one way and all Republicans think another but that's why I'm asking so right. Over here in my very protected blue bubble of blue. Yeah. I'm only around people who 
think the way I think in this. And I, as as terrible as that is, I enjoy that. Right. <laughs> because yes. some of the disagreements, some of the biggest disagreements that we have in this country are so value driven. It's mm-hmm. it's it's not about oh, we can agree to disagree because like, no, you're talking about my body and the body of women that I care a lot about and their choice and not making any distinction whether or not it's going to kill the parent, it's going to kill the mom, even if the baby wouldn't even survive. Right. And there's no distinctions. I mean, I think people say it comes down to human rights, but at what point are we giving away the rights of the woman or the mother, you know, they're trying to assign rights to an embryo or a fetus that somehow outweigh, you know, yeah. And, and I know complex decision-making process, you know, that right, right. Is so nuanced that how on earth, like, especially for me coming from the medical side, you know, knowing from a healthcare provider, the types of scenarios that can come out of pregnancy are huge the yeah. the lay person can't possibly understand or legislate i like don't <laughs> i don't get it um yeah yeah and and then you know that the idea of those embryos like when like the ones that are in the freezer for you right yeah do do, do those have more rights than right. the mom you know and that is yes. Am I am I committing murder if I decide to dispose of the ones that are genetically, you know, not yeah, not, not in a good place, not yeah. in a good place. Yeah, it's it's very complicated. So my my initial question was to ask, what is it like to have these conversations where you live? Is it yeah. what is that like? Well, um, to be honest, I feel like I'm surrounded by my own friends and family are, are relatively like-minded or, you know, progressive like me. Um, so I don't see a lot of direct confrontation of, of my ideas, but I do try to like publicly talk about some of my experiences on social media. Um, yeah, you're great about that. that. Reaches, reaches somebody who doesn't agree. Um, yeah, uh, Rebecca mm-hmm. recently yeah. did like a really big post um, on what it was like to lose to lose th- that second pregnancy mm-hmm. and spend time w- with that baby before you know ultimately didn't survive um, because your story is not that uncommon. It's mm-hmm. not that uncommon, and I, yeah, I'm sure people are maybe look at look at abortion as a, like a convenient choice, but like what woman looks at it as a convenient choice? Like even like even less complicated, I less like medically complicated situations. Like I've had friends who they find out, you know, around that twenty week mark or 18 week mark that their kid is, you know, probably going to have, um, down syndrome. Right. And, uh, you know, that, that pregnancy under the laws that are legislation that's being, you know, 
considered in some states would have to be brought to term and, you know, knowing, knowing that, and then, you know, hard life for that kid. And I don't want to be a part of their decision. I don't think anybody should be. No, that's private conversation between their doctor and, you know, their family, you know, so it's hard. Honestly, like, It's so confusing to me that people wouldn't see it that way. But obviously there are plenty of people that don't see it that way. And the thing that frustrates me the most is that a lot of those people are men. (laughs) Yeah. A lot of those people are men. And then, um, I don't know. It's a confusing place out there. I just feel like the only way that people can understand other people is if they like actually try to consider somebody's story um yeah because that's i think most of the reason that they're able to put things in black and white boxes is because they don't understand how complicated it can get or what it's like to be that person walking in those shoes um yeah you know whatever the reason is whether it's you know medically complex baby or you know socioeconomic reasons or rape or incest or gosh knows what else um it's complicated yeah I mean I feel like if your life is not touched by personally touched yeah somehow yeah but that's the thing is that most people's lives are they know somebody yeah who has been through something but a lot of times people don't talk about it like whether there's um shame somewhere or it's just hard to talk about, you know, emotionally. Um, people don't always tell their stories. Like, a lot of times you can have a close friend and have no idea what they've been through. Yeah, for sure. Like, your your story is it's so brave the way you are out there telling it, either on this podcast or on Facebook, because you kind of, no matter what, if you're going to try to be that person who connects other people to stories, you leave yourself mm-hmm. vulnerable to... Right. I mean, insensitive, insensitive comments. Um, I mean, do do you experience any of that? Like somebody's uncle, like just (laughs) saying like some. I haven't gotten any like direct attacks on, on no, or, or private messages. Um, I mean, your, your posts are so well written that I can't imagine anybody being able to come at those posts with, right. with um, ignorance yeah, and getting away with but it. I know, much, I know that there are some people in my extended family who have different religious or political views than I do. And they've read those posts too. And, and I'm, they may even argue with me about abortion rights. Um, but they can't really argue with my experience if I tell it from my yeah. words and my viewpoint because that happened. So, so, okay. So you share the story and is, is it kind of like if there's people who don't, who disagree, would you imagine, would you imagine to be like, yes, but your story is not like most. I could see that argument. Like you're the outlier type of thing. Yeah. But the thing is, I'm not really that. No, and that's the thing. You're not. (laughs) I'm not. I would, I guess I would cite some statistics. But there's, I mean, there's so many women out there. And that's, I think, why I've benefited from, 
you know, joining some of these online groups. I'm not like especially active on these Facebook groups, but just knowing that they exist and the amount of people who have been through similar experiences, like, um, is mind blowing, you know, because at first you feel pretty isolated, like, like most things traumatic, you feel like there can't possibly be somebody else that this happened to. Um, but there are, there's a lot of them, you know, there's different groups. There's like a genetic carriers group online. And then there's, um, you know, IVF with PGT, PG, um, like genetic testing and, and those kind of things. Um, and the collection of people that are in those groups are people who have been through exact same circumstances as me or who have had to make even harder decisions. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, you you know, it's not an outlier. It's not not to say that happens to everybody, but there's plenty of stories that make it. Yeah, you know, it's definitely not just one person. So, um, yeah, I don't know. I really, I'm not very spiritual, so I wouldn't say pray. But I I really hope mm-hmm. that we have an awakening in this country. I I, I think that a lot of people are already there. But yeah. it's obviously n- not to talk too much about just what happened at the Uvalde. But so <laughs> I'm like a political junkie. Like I just I'm on Twitter, like doom scrolling oh, yeah. all the time. Right. <laughs> and apparently, like some people say that, you know, 80 percent, 75 percent of the American public would love some gun safety reform. Right. And mm-hmm. then and then. Other polls, when they straight up ask people if they'd like more gun legislation, it's kind of low compared to that 80%. It's like 49%, mm-hmm. 50%. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's, it's like in my small community, I can tell you what the people around me right. want. But then, you know, our country's big and a lot of states, mm-hmm. a lot of different cultures happening within each state, within each community. Um, and this, this, uh, this aerial community, which is worldwide and is fantastic, you right. know, I have to say I have, I, I have more like-mindedness among this community than probably my physical community here in L.A. I would agree. Yeah. And, you know, the 10 plus years ago that I got into the circus community I was amazed to find just people that were so like-minded um yeah and open and trusting and um you know willing to be vulnerable yeah open-minded you know like open-minded and I I I treasure that so much like every single person that gets comes on this podcast like yeah. Everybody's so open-minded. We don't all agree on every single little thing, but um, sure. no, it's it's fantastic. And Rebecca, I really appreciate you coming on the first time and the second time because I feel mm-hmm. like um, your story is something that I, I just found out that somebody that I knew ten years ago who we follow each other on Facebook. She's like, a, she's like a, another person who used to take dance class with me from the same person. Yeah, she recently came to take my silks class. Mm-hmm. I hadn't seen her in ten years. She's going through her own journey with her second pregnancy. She's had two losses. Okay. And, you know, she's just like, man, I feel like I've connected with you over this. She's like, I listen to your podcast. I'm like, oh, that's so nice. Yeah. 
I, I want to call, call it our podcast, you know, like the community's podcast. Well, I'm sure it feels personal to a lot of people, you know? Yeah. 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 100%. Um, so I, I thank you. Um, yeah. And uh, I wish you the best of good vibes possible. Um, you know, I'll check yeah, with yeah. you after all this. Can I share one uh, one resource? Oh, yeah, that I found please. Really helpful? Please. Um, for anybody going through IVF, or even if you haven't, honestly, because it was useful in a lot of ways just about grieving, but um, there was a podcast I listened to uh, by Emily Ginn, G-I-N-N, called IVF This. Mm. And it was, like, instead of most of the IVF podcasts are – you know, this is the process and these are the things you go through and this is my experience or whatever questions and answer. This one was all about just like emotional processing. Um, cause it, cause it is an emotional process. I mean, it's physical process too. Um, that can be pretty rough, but, but there's a lot that goes into that, you know, whether it's infertility diagnosis before or loss before or, whatever the ups and downs. Um, I found it really useful. It's, it's, she's a life coach, so she kind of approaches it from that standpoint. I love that there's a podcast literally about everything. I know there is. If you look (laughs) (laughs) 2.5 million across the world, that's the number by Mm -hmm. the way. Wow. Which is insane, but it's like, it's like, uh, it's the new wave. It's, it's our generation, you know, that's, Oh, you want to go to the grocery store? She usually gives me, she gave me a couple more minutes. Usually it's like 57 minutes. Yeah. She, she did really good, but she's on my device as well. So like that's, that's, she gets her device time. What happened? Mm -hmm. We're about to go to Target Bean. Let's go. Um, (laughs) We're going to go to Target. She needs more underpants. Oh, okay. I know. She's. Dude, she's potty trained now. Podcast listeners, Bean Ooh. is potty trained. That's very exciting for Mama. Yeah, we're still doing the pull-ups on, on long trips. Mm-hmm. You want to go to the grocery store? Let's go. <laughs> All right, Rebecca, thank you so much for being with us. I appreciate you so much, and this community appreciates you sharing her, your story. I think it'll resonate with a lot of people, and hopefully help some of you ladies out there who might be going through a similar journey. All right, guys, check the show notes there for all the goodies I've got for you, Arrow Rehab and the mini course, and uh, check my Instagram, have free content there for you guys on a daily slash weekly basis. Uh, Give me a five-star rating and a review anywhere you get your podcasts. It helps so, so, so much. I appreciate you for that and for listening. I will see you guys next time. This is The Expecting Aerialist. Thank you.